Hello and welcome to this episode of Game on Girl, where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. Today's episode is titled, Role Player Jerry, Identifying with Drag. Jerry, who's an avid blogger at levels.wordpress.com, that's lvls.wordpress.com, and there he writes as wildcat-lvl. We'll share some of your responses to episode nine, Happily After Endgame. Through Twitter, we extend our conversation about the way women are represented at E3. We asked our listeners, how do you feel about sexualized avatars, female or male, good, bad, or indifferent? Last time we talked to our first married gaming couple, Scott and Kat. What did our listeners have to say about the episode, Rhonda? On our blog post for that episode, Chris Brown commented, My wife and I used gaming and podcasting to heal our relationship after coming to a near breakup after a 10-year marriage. We started the Married Gamers podcast and website nearly five years ago. And next week, I'm very happy to say we are celebrating our 15th wedding anniversary with some rock band Endless Set List 3. Very nice. I, I'm so excited about. I was so excited when I saw this comment, and so excited that you know, married gamers is a thing. <laughs> yeah, um, I remember going to a garage uh, this year in February, and it was Valentine's Day. And the guy at the garage said, "Well, what are you guys going to do for Valentine's?" And I said, well, uh, "We're going to go home and play Borderlands." <laughs> so he was very, very amused and just tickled pink so yes i i think this is representative of you know the great uh coming together nature that that gaming can have where where you it really is a powerful thing to to do together and as you know jerry talks about uh healing his relationship um through jerry sorry chris talks about healing his relationship through gaming um, I think, you know, sometimes you need to take those problems and your problem solving. And if you can practice problem solving in game, uh, sometimes problem solving out of game can become a lot easier as well. Yeah, the, it changes the context of things mm-hmm. because after and it, it, it's interesting, he said after 10 years, mm-hmm. they were um, having problems, right. you know, at some point you begin to fall into a routine you don't discover new language that you could use, new right. communication. The problems seem to just be mounting, and you don't see a new way to do anything. Right. And gaming is very interesting because it changes the rules. Yep. It changes the players, and it changes the problems. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was a very good observation. I loved having a real-world example that that's what gaming could can do for partners or anyone who's having a conflict exactly. uh, to cooperatively go into a new environment and solve a problem. Yeah, well, it goes along with the idea that, you know, we talk about gaming as being a level playing field for both genders, for both men and women to come in and not be carrying in sort of the expectations that the world might have about them and their abilities. So, it's a great place to learn about who you are. So I could, it, it very much maps onto a relationship where, you know, maybe you, you haven't been able to have the experience of learning more about your partner and you go into game and you get to see them in a different light and you get to see them in a different setting. And that, that idea sort of rounds out and, you know, helps you uh, t- take that next step into, oh, this person isn't just who I thought they were. Like, oh, she's not just a girl. You know, she can, she can do this just like I can. Or she's not just some guy who's, you know, living in his mom's basement playing, you know, Atari. Um, yeah. You know, they, they, there are all these other components to it. So it can really shed light on those different facets of somebody's personality. That's fantastic. So thank you so much, Chris, for sharing. Yeah, we really appreciate your feedback. And you can always leave comments on our website at GameOnGirl.com, through Twitter at Game underscore on underscore girl, or email Regina at GameOnGirl.com.
Coming up, we talk to writer and gamer Jerry about his role-playing identities in game. All right, we're here today with Jerry, another gamer and fan of Game On Girl. Jerry hosts his own blog at levelslvls.wordpress.com, where he writes under the pseudonym wildcat-level. So welcome to the show, Jerry. Oh, it's nice to be here. So could you give us a little background, a little information about um, your gaming experience and, and how long you've gamed and what kinds of games you play? I started gaming in 1985 when I was two. And I had a ColecoVision, so I played Donkey Kong and Ladybug, but I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and then um, when I got a little older, there was a supermarket that had a Donkey Kong arcade cabinet and a Zaxxon arcade cabinet, and I played those a lot. I got an NES when I was four, and that pretty much hooked me with Super Mario Brothers. Um, ever since that point, I've been pretty much an ardent gamer. I have all kinds of, I have over 250 games at home. Wow. That's a massive going, collection. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not too shabby. No. I play all, all the old stuff, all the new stuff as much as I can. I have a PS3 and a Wii. I have a DS. So that's about as modern as I am right now. But, uh, I like to play all kinds of things. So I don't really like puzzle games or... I'm kind of tired of first-person shooters. I have to get into one that's really unique for me to like it. And then racing games, unless it's like Mario Kart or Burnout, I don't really care for that much. But I'm pretty open to most other genres. I I tend to gravitate towards um, RPGs, both Mm -hmm. Western and Japanese, and I guess the generic action type of thing as my favorites. Cool. Cool. Do you play? And this is a this is something that I that I just came up with on um, Twitter this week. That I, I've I've always thought that the sort of division between most gamers was role play versus first person shooter. But but I'm finding that there might be a whole other section of people who play sports games. Yeah. And so and and that they that those really don't cross over with each other. I'm, and I'm not a fan. I mean, I, I hadn't even really thought to consider sports games until I was looking at some of the E3 coverage and like, oh, right, that's right. They are. They still make sports games. <laughs> yes. yes, they do. They still do. So do you ever play any of those sports games or anything like that? You didn't mention any. Well, one of my favorite sports games and probably one of my favorite Nintendo 64 games is International Superstar Soccer 98. Mm-hmm. That just has the most amazing controls in a sports game to me. I don't think any games really top that, in my opinion. It just is so mm. smooth. So I really like that one. There's a few others that I like that I've held on to, but they're mostly older. I don't have anything relatively new yeah. in terms of sports games. Well, other than like um, Wii Sports or whatever, that you know just sort of comes with the Wii. Yeah, that yeah. comes with the Wii, so I'm, I was forced to play that. Yeah, I never considered the sports genre either, Regina. I, it's not a genre I play at all. Mm-hmm. And I think John, um, my husband, has only played, <laughs> if you consider any sports at all, he'll play pool uh-huh. or snooker. Um, <laughs> and I think because he likes the extreme science that's involved in it. Yeah, the the, the physics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, and that makes it more of a puzzle game. Rather yes. than 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 an actual sports game where where you're going in and you know they were they were premiering Madden for for E3 and I was like oh people still play those <laughs> yeah they do I just I, you know I just it just hadn't occurred to me that 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 was sort of a, di- a different thing so yeah it, Madden's it, a huge franchise yeah it it is and they have a new game every year and you know there's there's a huge following for that it's just. I think it's and and they're starting to um I mean they have uh you know the stars or or whatnot the, the it's based on the real football players yeah. but one of the things they were saying in the in the E3 coverage was that uh it, it was they're bringing in elements of role playing game into the sports game now 
or right. yeah. King Court, you can customize your your avatar and who you're playing uh, to to a greater degree than you would have been before. So so there, there's a little bleed through sort of going on there, but I was just sort of curious. Yeah, there's there's a lot of argument actually about if a sports game could cross over into an RPG. I've mm-hmm. read articles way before this E3 happened mm-hmm. on that exact thing. Yeah, because you have all of these stats that go with each player right. when you play like a Madden game. Right. And so you kind of have to determine and weigh like your team based on those stats. Right. So, yeah. so there is, there's always been a bit of crossover, but the fact they were emphasizing it this year was yeah. interesting to me too. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. Anyway, so that, that sort of took us on a little, a little diversion, but it's something that I've been sort of interested in looking at now huh? and comparing it. What are you playing right now, Jerry? What am I playing right now? Well, I'm actually been testing a whole bunch of my games to, to see if I want to keep them. <laughs> um, before that, I was playing Xenoblade Chronicles, which is very, very good, and I need to get back into it. Uh, that's for the Wii, and uh, that was one of the games that Operation Rainfall was fighting for the last year or so. So Nintendo finally decided to release it in a limited fashion through GameStop and themselves, and I picked it up through Nintendo. And It's been a really, really fun game. I'm really happy that I have it. Cool. Very nice. And that's, that's a Japanese RPG. Right, yeah. But it's got a lot of Western design philosophies. It reminds me of the Elder Scrolls at times. Okay. But not, like, completely. It's third person, for one thing, and it's always third person. You can't go into first. You can't pick up every single little thing that you want, but there, there's some parallels that I like. So sort of a mash between Western and Eastern. Yeah, more more than I've seen in a lot of other JRPGs. Okay. Very nice. Yeah. Well, we've kind of already touched on it and uh, segued really well into our signature first question. But Jerry, how would you define what a uh, or who a gamer is? Well, I have a fairly broad definition of what a gamer is, and that just it probably helps that as an anthropologist, that's the direction I'm going is to study video games anyway. So I look at it in terms of like there's a there's an extreme scale of two sides. There's like casual non-gamer on one end and there's hardcore on the other and there's just infinite shades of gray in between so i would say that anybody who plays games would be considered a gamer but that doesn't necessarily mean that my definition is correct and will align with everybody else's but that's just what i think i think that anybody who plays a video game could be considered one Mm -hmm. as long as they enjoy what they're doing if they're not playing the games for any fun then they're probably not a gamer because they're not wanting to be doing it Right, or they wouldn't. You, someone who didn't enjoy it wouldn't be compelled to go back to game again. Yeah, that's so, how I look at it. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see that. I think that tied into some of what I sort of talk about as well in terms of definitions and and how we sort of peg this. I'm still I still grapple with that binary of casual and hardcore, and I think mm-hmm. it's I think it's complicated and and it. <laughs> Yeah, neither, it's very, very complicated. Yeah, neither of those terms really, really suits w- what what they're trying to say. So, but we're actually going to have an, an episode on that in the next couple of weeks, focusing yeah. on those two terms. So, that's coming up on Game on Game. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'll be listening. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so, tell us a little bit about your your process when you go about creating and selecting an avatar what are you thinking about what are what are you doing as you sort of engage that okay well it it really depends on the game if like we have a predetermined avatar that has a look and i can't change anything about the look but you can change what their name is Mm -hmm. i usually kind of go with a default because you know if it's like link in the zelda games i always name him link because that's who he is i don't make him me i don't make him anybody else because you're you're playing that character yeah, so I, I, I'm definitely a role player, I, I think, in the, in the grand scheme of things, because even in that situation, I, that's Link. It's not me. It's me controlling him. Mm-hmm. That's just how I think. Now, like with a game like The Elder Scrolls or Dragon Quest IX, which lets you make up your characters completely by scratch, um, I tend to rely on a pool of characters for a project I've had for a long time called Black Blood, which I started a webcomic for, but it died. So let's <laughs> move on past that. Um, so I, I, a lot of the games that I play have fantasy angles, and that was what that concept was. So I pull a lot of the characters out of there, and I flesh them out in the game worlds that I put them in. 
and I get ideas to how on how to direct them in the future if I ever want to pick that back up. So That's you wrote of, Black Blood? Yeah, I, I had this idea in my head a long time ago. Um, when I was a teenager, I had a Commodore 64, and I had access to a series of games called The Bard's Tale. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I really got into the worlds of that game because you basically created everybody from scratch, not with the amount of depth you can see today, but some some depth. I really liked that world, so I wanted to make a game based on it, and that was before I understood what copyright was. So <laughs> once I realized that, it became Black Blood. So the, all those characters that I had in mind went into this Black Blood idea. And so over the years, it's just been kind of something that floats around in the back of my head. And whenever I play like Skyrim or Morrowind or Dragon Quest IX or any game that lets me put in my own people, I pull those characters out and do my best to meld them into that world as best as I can because they're not going to exactly fit in. And then I put them in and I explore the world with them. And through that, I'm able to expand their personality and their uh, characteristics. Approximately how many characters do you have in Black Blood? Uh, that's a good question. I've lost count. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I probably have about eight to ten that I use often. Okay. And the most, more often than not, I use the female characters because I find them more interesting for some reason. I don't know why that is. I talked to Regina about that when I talked to her last. Yeah. That um, I think that my designs are better for them, so they're they get more fleshed out. You, but, you engage with them more as a, yeah. as an author or as a role player as you're creating them. Yeah, and I think that's just in general. I think I uh, sympathize with women better in general in real life. And um, I, I feel like I belong hanging out with women far more than I do with men. I think men annoy me more for some reason. <laughs> Persona at all. I'm, mas- I, yeah. I'm the masculinity I'm like, or, or masculine roles, or yeah, I'm, I'm the antithesis of that pretty much. So I, I tend to not have too many men that I really, really bond to unless they're very similar to me in personality. Interesting. So I, I hang out more with um, women at school in general. It, it, it's interesting to me mm-hmm. how that worked out, but yeah. that's just how I that's how I am. So uh, w- when you say that m- men may annoy you, exactly what about that? Is that ego or uh, poser-type um, acting or, or what? Well, there's a, there's a lot of things. Um, you know, I think that men in general, um, they do have that. A lot of them seem to think they need to pose. And that bothers me. Um, a lot of them are very sexist, which is unfortunate. And that really bothers me because I, I view everybody as equal. And hearing some of the things that I've heard, even at the uh, at the university I go to, has been very disparaging. It, it's it's just, I think ultimately it's just, it's a multitude of little things that just don't quite click with me the way that they should, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. So when you so when you talk about the demographic of uh, the guys at the university, about what age range are we talking about? Well, I'm significantly older than I think the average. I'm 29, and I would imagine that the average is probably between 18 and 21 mm-hmm. there. And you know, the cases that I have overheard um, these comments, I would gauge that the men are probably about that age. So they're not quite. Uh, mentally mature yet, although that doesn't really matter with age sometimes. <laughs> now, Regina, do you find that to be just a little sad that <laughs> a newer generation of men are coming along that are still that sexist? Uh, yeah, I do. And, and I see it. You know, I teach college, so, you know, I'm very familiar with this demographic. In, in multiple places, so and and I do see it, and I think it's, I, I think it's some blowback from the feminist movements and and the sort of direction that, you know, what people call quote unquote third wave feminism, where where women are more able now to, or or it's more acceptable to 
accept your femininity where in second wave feminism everything was about you know women wearing men's suits and 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 sort of breaking away from being feminine mm-hmm. third wave feminism brought brought back the high heels and the and the the dressing and the makeup and things as as okay and acceptable because they're part of who women are and, and i think that what's happening unfortunately with that is that it's sort of backpedaling a little bit in how the younger this this sort of up and coming early college generation uh sees women it, it's they they're not seeing those those sort of strong push the boundaries of um of of what's expected of a gender role women as much as they are you know the girls who wear high heels to class and <laughs> those those kinds of things so i yeah it it it, 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 it it's upsetting <laughs> Yes, it is, and it it it, it this could be a multi, multitude of things. It sure. could be where I'm at. I'm in the Central Valley, California, when I where I go to school. Um, it could be that you know I grew up in a small rural town in the foothills of California, and when I was in high school, there was a lot of this sexist attitude still around right. when I was there. And you know, I just I basically see it as high school behavior. Yeah. When I see it at any higher institution. Yeah. And and it's and, and it is partially age and it, it's it's par- partly you know just inexperience at at that age and and in college. I mean that's you know a good portion of what people go through when they go to college is just sort of experiencing the world outside of oh, their, yeah. their hometowns and all that and sort of sort of learning all of that. Yeah. Um, so, so it's partially that a friend of mine always said that, um, <laughs> he, he said for, for men between like 18 and 26, they were in what he called the blue funk where, where <laughs> they hadn't really matured enough to really understand what they were doing and why they were doing it. And, and they were following and, and we're still in this, um, hyper masculinized, you know, gender roles and for for men the very specific roles that men are supposed to to meet as well as you know very specific roles women are supposed to meet and that's one of the reasons why i love gaming so much is because it breaks down those 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 boundaries and those those boxes that we tend to try to pe- put people in or that we put yes, ourselves it in it has the capability at yes, least exactly it, it has a potential has great potential for that and um i, I and and so when when i think a lot of a lot and you know, I'm sure there's plenty of women who end up in the blue funk as well. You know, I, th- I think back about what I was like in my early 20s, and I kind of laugh at myself sometimes because I thought I knew everything. <laughs> and now, several years later, I laugh at what I thought I knew then and what I still feel like I'm learning now. And um, so, so, I mean, I, I, it, it happens, I think, for both genders. But but I do think that there's some some backlash from third wave feminism that is part of what's coming out in that sort of, okay, it's okay to be sexist. If it's okay for women to wear high heels and makeup, it's okay for men to be sexist kind of tit for tat, I guess going on. Yeah. It's unfortunate though. It is. It is. And hopefully we'll, we'll fight it. (laughs) All of us, everybody listening. Well, I, I think I was the one that actually started that rabbit trail. So I'll try to I'll try to pull us back to Good luck. Uh, to Jerry's avatars. Yes. So you are um, obviously a role player and you have these characters that you like to interject when you can into the games that you play. What do your characters all have the same species or the same kind of class? Are they within a um, – they're obviously within a particular world. Yeah. Um, could you describe maybe a couple of your main female characters? I sure can. Um, in Morrowind in Skyrim, I had a character named Kara, and she is – she originally was a dark elf, but I've changed it to be like a cave elf because I didn't like the term dark anymore. I, I feel like that almost has a racist undertone, and I don't want that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, as a cave elf, they stay in the caves of the world that they're in. I don't have a name for it yet. And um, they practice really dark, menacing magics usually. And um, Kara had her family killed by the antagonist of this series. And that was basically her original origin. But when I put her into Morrowind, I, I changed it a bit. And I, I made her family be killed by House Redoran. 
So she decided to become the head of the Telvanni. I don't know how familiar you are with Morrowind, but um, she became the head of Telvanni and then went after all of the Redoran strongholds in Morrowind and basically eliminated every single trace of the Redoran line that she could. And um, through that, I, I got a much deeper sense of the um, hatred and the malice that she had and the, the means that she would do to follow through with her plan. So, like, when I put her back into Black Blood, I'm thinking instead of having the antagonist involved with the killing of her family, I'm thinking about having some outside division responsible for it. You know, I was able to kind of come up with ideas for how her magic would look. In, in, in the idea that I have, she's able to use her blood to create um, undead, basically, and to do that, she has to like cut a spot on her wrist, and as the blood bleeds out, she reaches through some gate, and by pulling stuff out of that gate, it merges with the blood she's spilt, mm-hmm. and that's what creates the creature she summons. It's the combination of the magic from another realm plus her own blood, hmm. which actually sounds a bit like the Soul Sacrifice game that Sony's doing, but mm-hmm. I came up with it like eight years ago. <laughs> 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 but I won't sue them. That <laughs> oh, that's nice of you. <laughs> so does uh, appearance mean a lot to you with these characters? Well, I have I draw on top of coming up with ideas. So I have ideas that I've expressed through illustration what they look like. And um, what I can, am able to do as well sometimes with these character creators is come up with a better representation of what my imagination originally had. And then I can reapply that back into my world and try to add in those elements that I couldn't, that I didn't think of originally. Sometimes I get inspiration from putting them into like a soul caliber character creator that gives me the chance to see them in a game so I can actually then pull them back into my mind and then just take those ideas and, and flesh them out even further than the game would allow me to. So it's, it's like I have the idea, I bounce it into something, I, I take it back, and then I combine what I've learned from that game and how that character came out into my own design. Hmm. And it's pretty interesting how that happens. Yeah, that's sort of an interesting mapping uh, back and forth of sort of your creative energies being inspired and um, furthered by by what you're doing in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. That's an aspect of the role player type mm-hmm. that I don't think we've yeah, that we really literally put words to, but they're, yeah. they're extremely open creatively mm-hmm. as far as developing any maturing, any merging and evolving their mm-hmm. characters. Yeah, and 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 taking taking the game lore and and making it their own in a way where they, you know, create a character that fits into the lore and fits into the game itself. Yeah. And then and then furthering in their own mind the the mythology of of the game and the character together. It's really as mm-hmm. my as my advisor had said early in the process, she said she thought that the role players were sophisticated game players, and I would, you know, I think the evidence is <laughs> fleshing out for that. Yeah, it, it's interesting how this works. Um, that was only one of the characters I've had. I have a um, basically like a hand to hand fighter named Sage. Um, I put her in Soul Calibur three first, and I kind of got her look figured out. But it actually was Dragon Quest IX that gave me an idea of what her fighting style would be like. Because I developed her, I think they call them black belts or something, martial artists. That's what they call them in that. And um, she didn't have any weapons. And she had like minimal armor. So she was just punching everything. And originally I had her mined with a staff. But I think I actually want her using her fists when I pull her back into the design. And that was basically Dragon Quest IX's influence that made that decision mm-hmm. hmm. interesting so tying that into the the game mechanic as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cool so what do what do these characters look like like in and and how much is there of your creation that that in your mind for, for what they look like and how much of it comes from from the game itself well what i try to do 
Um, like with Skyrim, you have a whole bunch of customization options. Not as much as Oblivion, which was too much. Mm-hmm. But um, I remember I was trying to create Kara in Oblivion, and I ended up giving her green skin and a blue face. And I really don't know how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't look right. It's like you can't see it until you actually like remove articles of clothing from right. your character. Mm-hmm. And I saw her arm, and it was bright green. And I'm like, she's not green. <laughs> so she's I not an Orion that. slave girl. <laughs> Exactly. So let, let's start from the beginning. When I when I first create a character, I draw them out, and then I kind of just keep that basic template in my head. When I put them into a game, I do my best to try to make them look like how I envision them in my head, at least in terms of what their faces look like. I have a, a fairly simplistic, I'd say almost anime style to my drawing. So the faces don't have like a gazillion bits of detail. They have eyes and nose and a mouth and mm-hmm. a bottom lip and, you know, nothing too extravagant. There I, I have their hair color and basically what the length of their hair is like, what I want it to look like, and I have their skin color. Everybody in Black Blood is an elf now. I just decided to make it an entire group of elves instead of having humans, elves, dwarves, etc. Mm-hmm. I thought it just made sense for that universe to have them all be elves. But I haven't quite nailed down what each elf type is yet. But I do know I have cave elves, and I have what I'm calling um, like high elves, which are the are the tidy tidy ones, <laughs> rich the rich elves essentially uh-huh. that think they're better than everybody else. And I've got a couple others. I just don't snow elves, which don't have magic unless it's a weird fluke, and then they're really 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 good with magic if it happens that way. If there's a genetic <laughs> disorder that happens, um, and then there's a couple others I haven't figured out quite yet but um so i have the character in mind i try i do my best to put them into that world but i can't get their clothes or their armor into the world the way that i envision it because they don't have my imagination in their game right so i have to make adapt adapt i have to adapt that's what i'm trying to say Uh and i do the best that i can my kara has armor made out of ribs for example so there's just like she's got a, the front of it is just completely a human rib cage that's been reinforced mm-hmm. with metal of some kind. And she's got um, scales underneath it. But there's nothing that's quite like that in Skyrim or Morrowind. So I just basically put what looks like it would be closest to them in, onto mm-hmm. them. Right. Yeah. The look that she got in Morrowind and Skyrim influenced the original design as much as the original design did. So, like, I still have that armor, but I added elements to it. Like, she has a skirt in um, Morrowind that I wanted her to have a magical skirt that was a certain color. So I incorporated a bit of that into her final, mm-hmm. her last design that I drew. And, like, she had, um, I think, a bone mold piece of shoulder armor, and I incorporated that into her design. So it's like I take what I originally have and I put it in there as best as I can but I also take things out that I didn't think of and it builds and improves the design I think by doing that hmm. that's an interesting does that, answer, does that answer the question because I think yeah. I kind of lost it there yeah. for a no 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 you got that, it. Okay. that was great I'm okay. wondering if you ever create a character uh, that is not from Black Blood, based just because of the game that you happen to pick up or that you're getting ready to play, and you think, you know, this needs a new, unique character. Do you, do you do that very often? If I got into more sci-fi-based RPGs, I probably would, because, like I said, the Black Blood universe is completely fantasy-based, and I don't think they'd fit. But off the top of my head, I'm having difficulty thinking of an, of that example. I very rarely do that. Okay. Um, I have other I have other projects that I have that I might throw those characters in if it was modern, say if it was a modern setting. Mm-hmm. Right. Off the top of my head, like most of the RPGs I play tend to be fantasy based, and that just seems to be what happens: is that the Black Blood people get trotted out, and They're the right. other ones never do. You see, you automatically see the connections between the fantasy world and the Black Blood characters, yeah. and so you you tie them together. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. So do you, do you play mostly um, single player RPGs? Do you do any, or have you done any? Uh, massively multiplayer games? No, I have never played an MMO. Okay. They don't they don't attract me for some reason. I think 
for the majority of my life, I've been solitary in terms of my game playing. It was like my escape from being at school when I was in the elementary through high school levels. Mm-hmm. I played multiplayer with friends when they came over. And that, you know, I had a lot of fun with that. That was, that was um, like with the N64 in particular, with GoldenEye and Perfect Dark and Mario mm-hmm. Kart and all that. Yeah. Beyond like fighting games and, and the N64, I haven't done a whole lot of multiplayer. My wife plays games with me from time to time. Um, we were playing Dead Space Extraction, I think, a couple weeks ago. We both like playing that. But um, she doesn't like every game that I do. She's not a big fighting game fan, for example. Mm-hmm. That's basically who I play with. I've played online fighting games twice. Once with a uh, co-author of my blog and once just against random people on PSN. And uh, I liked it. I think it's fun. But I think I like having people next to me when I play. Mm -hmm. So I I think that there's some weird attachment in my brain in terms of multiplayer that I need to have somebody else here for me to really like it. Hmm. So they, they, you would prefer that they be in the room with you. We were talking about that in the last episode. <laughs> yeah, I feel I feel exactly the same way. I love the idea of playing with my friends or playing with people that I know. One of my favorite things to do is to play in the same room together, and and we go to great lengths to try to make that happen. Sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah, to to really sort of make the it, it seems like for both of you that that is part of the community building. Yeah, having having people physically with you as you're gaming. Because so I think, look, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jerry. Um, I feel disconnected when I don't have a face or I don't have like a physical manifestation of a person mm-hmm. in the same room with me. Like when I when I played game like a fighting game with with my wife, trying to see if she would be into it at all. I got more fun out of that than playing the people on PSN, even though she wasn't really into it. She she doesn't fully understand how they work. She was more fun of an opponent than the people who knew what they were doing, but I couldn't see them. Right. Cool. Yeah, it's the same way. We we've been playing D three online with our friends, and it feels very impersonal and disconnected. Even though we know them intimately, mm-hmm. it. It would be so much better if we were in the same room. We could talk to each other. I could see their faces, hear their grunts, their curses, you know, everything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Then it would be a full-blown experience because we we would be interacting in the moment at the same time. Now, Rhonda, are you guys playing on? Are you using Vent? Are you using yeah. the voice chat? And that doesn't that doesn't help with any of that for you. You still no. you're still missing it. And is it is it is that because of the culture of uh, the way you guys are queuing in for Vent? You don't maybe queue in all the time, or or I don't know. Yeah, we don't queue in all the time, and also it's it's just another task that I have to do. If I want to talk, I have to hit the control key, right? And there's a delay, and for some reason, with the four of us on, uh, we can't hear each other very well. The sound's not coming through well from John, and we uh-huh. can't hear him very well. And it, it's it's delayed and, and handicapped. Basically, mm. it's it's not um, instantaneous. Right. Yeah. Well, you don't have the, and you don't have the. I mean, you still are missing the the body cues and other things. Even if we had the voice communication. If, if it was like a conversation like we're having, even just like right now on, on Skype, mm-hmm. where we could talk over each other right. and we could talk simultaneously or in the moment and the feed was not delayed so much and it didn't take another keyboard click and an actual physical action. Right. To be able besides to engage me, it. Yeah, yeah. Then it would it would be uh, significantly better. Mm-hmm. Um, we wouldn't need a, fi- a physical presence. I wouldn't need that if, if right. we could at least be there present in voice. Well, I have friends who play World of Warcraft and play with Skype open, and and that's how oh. and that's how they play. So I mean, you could it, it is a potential. I mean, it the the reason you know in invent you you queue is so you're not hearing everybody's. Um, Yes. gameplay you know and the the sound of the game itself which you're gonna you're gonna pick up with with skype but yes. um but it, it might it might be something that you can try and see if that oh, would yeah. make it easier it for you yeah. so jerry if you haven't played uh, very many mmos then you don't really have any experiences online or with other players as far as a reaction to your female characters and you being a male player 
I don't, but I can tell you a funny story when I started being online. <laughs> okay. Um, um, when I got online way back in 2001 was when I got my first computer right after high school. Um, I tended to use female avatars on forums. And on more than one occasion, I apparently confused people enough to make them think that I actually was female because they were surprised when I said something or I revealed like a picture of myself and they were like, oh, I could have swore you were a girl or something like that. <laughs> so I, I've had that happen not in a gaming sense, but I've had it happen in an online sense. Mm -hmm. um, I don't tend to get very angry or uh, aggro when I'm online. I think I've only got snapped at somebody once or twice, but it's usually with a very well-written post that's very hard to argue. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the power of words. Yes, mm -hmm. indeed. Mm -hmm. So do you see, so you said you've played with your wife as sort of your main your main um, game community, but, but uh -huh. do, do you think, and, and you read, I know you looked at my dissertation, so you know some of the research that I did and some of the stuff. Uh -huh. Do you think there are big differences between male and female gamers, or if it's just sort of more media hype and stereotypes that we're playing off of and interacting with? Well, the, the big problem that I see is that I think the stereotypes overpower everything. And there are several women gamers that are probably way more hardcore than I could ever imagine being. And there's several male gamers that are as casual as casual can be. I mean, it's, there's, you just can't lump every single male and every single female into a small box, as mm -hmm. you were saying earlier. Right. One of the things I want to do to try to help break that stereotype is, um, I talked to Regina about this. I want to do a study at my university and talk to all of the women that I can, that game there, and get an idea of what they do, what they play, what, what got them into gaming in the first place. And I want to publish that online as a piece of evidence that says all women are not what you think they are. They are diverse. They are individuals. They are their own gaming entity and you cannot lump them into a box with every other woman gamer and just pretend that they don't exist. That's what I'd like to do next semester if I can get everything rolling on that. Well, you will definitely have uh, some support from Game on Girl. <laughs> okay. I figured I would. <laughs> Since that's essentially my, uh, my mission as well and the reason why, as you know, I started the podcast as opposed to mm -hmm. other avenues of, of publication for this kind of research. Yeah, so. Exactly. Yeah. And I yeah, fully definitely support what you're doing. So. Thank you. Yeah, it's another contribution to the research that she's involved in. Exactly. And, and getting that idea that, you know, Gamers aren't aren't who I don't know. The, the, I don't want to say the media as like just this broad sweeping categorization, but it does seem to be that a lot of media outlets have like specific ideas about women gamers, about about male gamers as well. It's, it's just you know gamers sort of have this this stigma attached to them that yes they do. Gaming has the stigma attached to it, and we talked about in a previous episode. Rhonda brought up how play is so important for learning about who you are. And, you know, that doesn't need to go away just because you're a grown-up. <laughs> exactly. And, and gaming at, at its best is, you know, seeing some evidence of that not really being great and, you know, with some of the E3 stuff this week. But, um, you know, gaming at its best gives the opportunity for people to explore who they are, to create new characters like you talk about, Jerry, and, and create and engage in, in a story in a different way than any other any other medium does. Yeah, that's why I like it so much. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a huge movie fan. I don't watch TV. Um, games have been my form of entertainment since, like I said, two. I was two, and um, I don't. I like to hope I don't foresee that ever ending. The the changes that I'm seeing to uh, the future of gaming concern me. The uh, DRM and the DLC and the addition of social networks when they may not necessarily be needed. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that's been the, one of the big critiques over uh, Diablo 3, forcing people to play what what was originally a single-player, you know, play on your computer thing, forcing people to play on servers, then having servers that have been somewhat unreliable. Exactly. Although somewhat is probably gentle. <laughs> 
That's about the gentlest I've heard it put, I think. So. <laughs> server of the server issues. I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, even when I go to play and I want to scream because I can't get on because of error 37. So. <laughs> well, to both of you then, in regards to the type of research that you're wanting to do, do you think it is just as important or more important that the stereotype of male gamers is identified as well as female gamers is 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 the is there a critical issue with the identity of female gamers within the culture the community or the industry or is the stereotype just as bad or um, critical for the male well should i answer that first or do you want to answer that first whichever <laughs> Why don't you go ahead? I'll, I'll take a moment too. I have to think about it. Um, I, I think, you know, I, another broad sweeping generalization, stereotypes are generally bad. I, we're, we're never going to get a, 100% away from them because it's, it's one of the ways people organize the world. I don't think the stereotypes for male or female are, male or female gamer are any worse than than either of them. I mean, if the male stereotype is the socially inept guy who lives in his mom's basement, who can't carry on a conversation, um, just the number of people that we've had on the podcast have, have, proven that that's not the case. Right. (laughs) And, and that maps on, you know, female gamers have two different stereotypes that they're sort of working against, or they're working against that same, socially inept, slovenly, you know, uh, fat, ugly, or slutty, you know, idea. And they're, they're also working against the idea of uh, women are only interested in gaming because their boyfriends are, or because it's a way to meet guys, or, or other things like this, as opposed to a place of, of power and agency, as, as I tend to see it. So, you know, both of those are bad, and both of them are things that we sort of need to bring attention to and, and, and fight against and articulate and well-spoken gamers are the, the road that I would like to take to fight those <laughs> stereotypes. Yeah, you touched on some of the things I would say. Um, I think that the male stereotype is also something that we need to work on, but I feel, I feel stronger about trying to tear down the stereotypes around women because I think that they're more prevalent. Mm-hmm. I think that they are, um, more entrenched in the industry as well as outside. I, I honestly think that there's been so many women I've talked to just this last semester at the UC that um, completely annihilate that stereotype. I mean, there's I've chatted with probably five, six, seven different women just talking about something in my anthropology class, and that you know. Anthropology students, psychology students, um, political science students, just all over the place mm-hmm. are adamant gamers as much as I am, if not more. Right. And um, are just slapping that theory silly. Right. Well, that's, that's exactly how I felt doing my research as well, talking to 30 women gamers who showed very dynamic, engaged, you know, articulate presence in terms of why they game and what, what they get out of it. So Yeah. And I would say at least half of those people I talked to said they had a friend that they need that I needed to talk to. <laughs> so I mean, the, the, the potential effect. is definitely there. Yeah. I just I just feel stronger that the there's stereotypes on both both sides, mm-hmm. and both of them need to be addressed. But I think that the 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 women side of the argument needs more focus because mm-hmm. it's the one that seems to be worse. Yeah, yeah, and and more. I think it's worse because it's more likely to affect women gaming. You know, yeah. it's more likely uh, to, yeah. to keep women from gaming. The idea and the stereotype that a, a woman gamer is, you know, fill in the blank, would deter somebody from more likely to deter somebody from calling themselves a gamer. And and I yeah. think that I think in terms of the the big, you know, umbrella idea that is that is more problematic than it is for for male gamers are much more likely to just sort of jump in and 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 game and and not worry about it so okay yeah. great now i'm very interested especially because of 
some of the things I've been seeing on Twitter with E3 and the different things going on. And it's just, it's obviously an industry issue mm-hmm. on, on both fronts. And we're going to be talking about that more later, but mm-hmm. I was just curious. Um, I, I wanted to ask Jerry in general, the people that you work with, the friends and, and family and stuff in your real life, do they all know that you're an avid gamer? I'd like to hope so. <laughs> um, my parents my parents are the ones that got me into this pretty much. Um, my my dad has always thought that I would grow out of it, though. He, he's hmm. just amazed by the fact that I'm still doing it, and now that I'm going to study it as a profession, I don't think he ever foresaw that happening. So in terms, you know, my parents know because they bought me the NES that kind of snowballed this whole thing. I wear a whole bunch of shirts. I talk about games a lot. The people I tend to hang out with are usually people who play games to some extent. Um, so I would say that the majority of people that I interact with will probably will probably be able to figure out that I'm a gamer. Um, I'm fortunate that my job, which is a uh, museum cataloger for the History Museum in the town I, work, I live in, um, has a really lax dress code, so I don't have to dress up with a suit or anything. I can walk in with what I would wear to school. So I wear gaming nice. t-shirts there all the time, and um, that's just who I am. I wear that's what I wear. I wear who I, what I am, pretty mm-hmm. much. So I would like to think that the majority of people who know me would probably be able to figure out relatively fast that I am an avid gamer. Well, I think that that sort of wraps up our our questions, right, Rhonda? We hit all of our yeah. It does for me. It was it was great. Unless um, Jerry's got some insights he, we didn't touch on. I'm sure I do, but I can't think of any. Right? <laughs> well, right. that's that segue is great because any additional comments anybody's got on um, this podcast or on Regina's blog or what we've talked about today, they can always uh, leave on Twitter. And we're at uh, game underscore on underscore girl. Or you can email Regina at Regina at GameOnGirl.com or leave a comment on the blog at GameOnGirl.com. Right. And if you'd like to follow up on uh, Jerry's work and some of the writing that he's doing, again, his website is levels, L-V-L-S, dot wordpress dot com. And he writes that there under Wildcat dash level lvl so thank you so much for joining us jerry we really appreciate having you on the show today oh, not a problem i'd love to be back all right well thanks we're, jerry we're gonna keep going so we'll see where <laughs> see where this takes us thanks this is game on girl i'm regina and i'm here with my co-host Rhonda. This week's Twitter question stemmed from last week's, from our last short episode's discussion of the representation of male and female characters in games. We asked, how do you feel about sexualized avatars, male or female, good, bad, or indifferent? And this turned out to be a topic that everybody had a lot to say about. Absolutely, which is not unusual. And we also discovered that there are some topics that we hadn't even thought of before that I think will make some good Good subjects for future episodes. Yeah, we're going to have some uh, some pretty fantastic episodes that are going to have evolved out of this Twitter conversation. So the power of Twitter, yay! Yeah. <laughs> um, here's what some of our followers had to say. Dr. Omaro said, "He's largely indifferent. If we are to look at them for many hours, why not make them pleasing to the eye?" From Jeff Sunstein, I wish some of my gaming department colleagues would attend to these issues more. S. Suzuki at Uzi Suzuki reminded us that even though gender images are stereotyped, gameplay is still a great leveler. She pointed out that in Mass Effect 3, Femshep is just as equal to Broshep when it comes to the abilities. Right, and what um, what Susie had to say was pretty... Um pretty significant. One of the things that I've thought is has made gaming a great place to be a man or a woman because there generally aren't differences based on the kind of avatars that you're playing. There aren't differences between abilities or uh, guns you can use or different things like that. You might be treated differently <laughs> in an online game, depending on if you're playing a male or female avatar. But the abilities that the character has and that you have in game don't generally change based on on gender, and that that is really powerful and important. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if that's a big draw for mm-hmm. women to gaming is because the the rules cannot be changed. Right. The the physics and the mechanics cannot be changed. It, it, halfway through the game, you're not going to get kicked out right. or left out. Right, exactly. And you're not going to be ostracized because of, you know, your, you know, your boobs or anything. So <laughs> yeah. you're not going to be left on the side because you can't run as fast or, you know, female characters can't lift as much or can't carry as much in their bags or anything like that. So, so those are really ways that, um, gaming allows, uh, for gender equality. Um, D.R.O. Moro's uh, comment, you know, I, I can totally see how a lot of people would be indifferent about uh, the avatars, what they look like, and, and why not have them be, you know, pleasing and attractive. I think we actually got a comment on Facebook, so I posted this question on Facebook as well, with the same, the same basic idea from um, Beth, I think it was, said, you know, Guys want eye candy. I want eye candy too. <laughs> yeah, there's really nothing wrong with uh, with wanting things to be attractive and wanting your avatar to be attractive. So, and I wonder too a little bit, and it's hard to tell, you know, in 120 characters, right? But being indifferent to the way that they look reminds me of sort of a mastery type player. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a big concern for them. It, right. It's it's the accomplishments and the skills and the experience. Exactly. Where they're, they're not really thinking about the social interactions or the way the game is perceived necessarily as much as they are just getting into it and playing. And, um, and then that, the, the image doesn't make as much difference in that, in that situation. And uh, Jeff's comment about wishing some of his gaming department colleagues would attend to these issues more uh, just made me very, very happy because <laughs> I'm very delighted that, that we here at Game on Girl are taking on these issues and are getting such fantastic feedback from the people who follow us on Twitter with these questions and engaging them because, you know, our, our discussions are only as, as interesting as, as the con- contributions you guys give to us as a show. So thank you for that. That's true. And some of the responses reminded me of the gamer types that you defined in your dissertation. Several of the commenters actually agreed with Julie Maloney at JC Maloney. She said, I strongly dislike default big boo, big muscles, and inability to change. If I can't customize away, I probably won't play. Which sounds to me like a complaint a role player might have. Mm-hmm. N.W. Weber at Grethid observed that self-players or self-gamers may want to enhance their own features, which is true. I would love to do that. (laughs) And Neil Curry at ASBO underscore underscore all-star just might be a mastery player. He said, I just look at the race stats to match class and pick a small character for PvP selecting. I don't care what they look like in all fairness. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are, are really great uh, reflections of the gamer types that we've seen. Although I think that, I think Julie's might be, a, there might be a little bit of self-player in there as well as as looking for role player. But, but being able to customize an avatar, I do think is particularly important to role players because they're looking at, as Jerry talked about in this episode, creating a character that matches an internal picture that they have. Yeah, and typically our role players have a, a story and a character before they even get into the game. Mm-hmm, exactly, exactly. They, they have an idea of where they're coming from and what kind of character they want to have and what look they want them to have. And there, there's lots of sort of specifics that they're dealing with that a more dynamic character creator like you might see in City of Heroes or other places where you can actually control body shape, which you can't do in other, other games like World of Warcraft, are, are more appealing to them. Um, Grethade's uh, reflection about self-gamers w- may wanting to enhance their own features goes along with one of the other themes I saw through the dissertation research about, about gaming providing a place where you can have that idealized fantasy, where you can be the, you know, super athletic, you know, perfect uh, avatar. And, and that was very much a draw for self-gamers. Yeah. 
it, it, it's definitely a draw for me. So yeah, yeah. Um, but the conversation changed when <laughs> the it evolved, and we began to see a discussion about the attitudes amongst female gamers themselves. Yeah. And this is where we think that we might have another uh, topic to talk about on Game on Girl. Um, Amy at Vitamin Amy shared a wow experience. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing already. Yeah, before we even get to the comment. Yeah. I knew a girl who sent TMI pictures of herself to the leader trying to become an officer of my wow guild. Oh boy. I'm just shaking my head. I know you guys know. can't see it, but I'm shaking my head. Uh, Melissa Waltzer at Some Rocketeer suggested that gamer girls have an obligation. Actually, most girls who play and don't play at a high level tend to annoy me. I don't feel like we can afford to not be the best. Otherwise, the entire gender has to make up for it. So, are women their own worst enemies? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's actually a lot of research out there about um, women on women hate. Uh, you hate but, to see it. I really do. I really, it's really, it's really very discouraging. And and I do want to have this this topic, this idea about the complexities of women gaming together as as creating problems for for women gamers. And that's going to be a topic that we're going to come back to in the next few episodes and talk about because we're only we're only as a community. We're only as strong as our weakest link. <laughs> right. And if our weakest link is us, you know, uh, you know, women attacking women as gamers, that's got to go. <laughs> well, and even to the point of when we discussed in the short about the booth babes mm-hmm. at the cons. Mm-hmm. I mean, someone wrote an article and they were saying, you know, the, the 10-year-old girls that are growing up now, if they, if they see the same thing, they're going to be really mad that we haven't evolved any further. Right, exactly. And my comment was, well, hopefully they'll, they'll have the force in their pocketbooks to make the right. changes. What they're going to get mad about are the women still playing booth babes. Right, exactly. You know, th- we only have as much power and agency as what we choose to do. And, yeah. and if we continue to, and there's nothing that says the booth babes are actually gamers. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I saw several conversations that came out of E3 about the just overabundance of booth babes and how, you know, they knew nothing about any of the technology that was being sold at the, at the booths that they were manning. And um, a couple of articles that I'll link to about, um, about that. Um, which again, um, I'm, I'm on sort of information overload after E3. I'm still trying to remember where I read everything. <laughs> so I can't give the references to you guys now, but there are several conversations going on about the sort of uh, culture that's sprung up around these kinds of cons with um, this selling tactic and it oh, yeah. not being particularly effective. Um, but going back to what to what Amy and Melissa were talking about here, I know lots of lots of people and lots of women. There have been situations where I'm sure everybody, male or female, has used their gender to um, their advantage in some way. <laughs> the example that Amy gives about somebody sending, you know, um, what I'm assuming are sexualized pictures, trying to become an officer in a WoW guild. I just I just don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> It makes me wonder. <laughs> well, it's it's definitely fodder for a conversation because yes. a lot of that is, are women still being taught that their uh, sexualization is what gets them places? Right. Um, are women falling back on sexualization for self-esteem? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, we could just go on and on, and it, 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 it would be a very interesting conversation. Yeah. And, there, and there's a long-standing tradition of it. I started to write a paper in grad school about a website and a competition that was called Miss Video Game. You know, women put in their own profiles and, and uh, competed to, to, you know, be crowned Miss Video Game. And the first level of the competition for, you know, in order to get into the qualifying, to get to be the top 50 of the um, of the gamers that you know would then be picked to to actually game, all all you did was write a profile, 
and hmm. and post pictures of yourself. And after looking through all 200 or so of the people who had posted their profiles, I can tell you that the top 50 had all had sexualized content of some kind in their pictures. And it, it, it was just just the way that it ended up evolving. So it's like, this is how they gained popularity, and this is how they got votes, and this is how they ended up in the top 50. And what was sad for me was the questions on the profile at the time were something along the lines of, um, you know, what's your favorite experience as a gamer, and what do you like to do, and what kinds of games do you play? And I so wish there would have been, like, an essay contest about, like, how do I want to change the image of gamer girls? <laughs> Yeah, something um, with more merit to it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. It's 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 a big conversation. Mm-hmm. So it is. I it is. I'm, I look forward to it being a topic. Yeah. <clears throat> but um every day on Twitter we ask a new question. Be sure and give us our opinion and we might share it on our next episode. You can follow us on Twitter at game underscore on underscore girl. You've been listening to Game on Girl. I'm the co host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can follow me on Twitter at Row Room. That's R-H-O-R-H-O-O-M. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, and you can follow me on Twitter at DocLiz with two Zs. And we'd like to thank Jerry for joining us on our show today and talking in depth about the characters that he creates and his motivations and reasons for gaming. We really appreciated the conversation. Game on Girl is available on iTunes and Stitcher Streaming. These links, along with references made to the show, can be found on our website, GameOnGirl.com. You can also leave feedback through Twitter at game underscore on underscore girl or email us at regina at gameongirl.com. This podcast is recorded with Audacity and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks for listening and until next time, game on.